break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 19th of August, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. we got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. Today, we are going to be talking about the prospects for peace, and the conflict in northern Ethiopia. After nearly six months of a ceasefire in northern Ethiopia, the possibility of peace talks between the Ethiopian government and the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, is very much in the air. There's been a flurry of statements, envoys, and announcements making the idea of an end to the nearly two-year-long TPLF-instigated conflict seem like something that is certainly within the realm of possibility. Despite the tremendous suffering caused by the conflict, however, when one examines the fine print, so to speak, it becomes clear the prospects for peace still seem somewhat distant as the TPLF continues to insist on various conditions that make even the start of a peace process anywhere from very difficult to impossible to achieve. In late June, the conversation around a peace process really heated up when the Ethiopian government established a high-level peace committee, as they call it, which includes, as members, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, the National Security Advisor, the Director of Military Intelligence, the Deputy President of Amhara State, a high official in the ruling party, and the Director of the National Intelligence and Security Service. So in other words, a pretty heavyweight committee that obviously could negotiate at a high level. The government declared they were ready to meet anywhere, anytime, with no preconditions as well. In mid-July, the TPLF, it seemed, was perhaps opening the door to these negotiations, saying they were ready to start negotiations in Nairobi and were developing their own high-level team. The African Union and the AFP reported that there had been some low-level contact between the sides since then, but that is something the TPLF is now vehemently denying. The TPLF is now also denouncing the Peace Committee. TPLF spokesperson Gedesh Rada went as far to say that the peace committee is actually a cover for a renewed offensive by the Ethiopian government, and the TPLF has attempted to create a controversy this week around an unproven claim that the Ethiopian National Defense Force, or ENDF, attacked them. So the idea of talks seems to be, to say the least, stalled. Understanding what's happening here requires a close reading, because the TPLF demands are framed in such a way to sound very reasonable, but in substance, they all point to their real agenda, which seems to be a total avoidance of real talks. First and foremost is the issue of quote-unquote basic services being restored in Tigray. TPLF leader Debrit Sengebra Michael said in late July that this was a precondition for talks to begin. Now, what exactly this means is a bit slippery, but in an August 5th communication issued by the Tigray External Affairs Office, it suggested that this would include a full restoration of telecommunications, banking, electricity, cross-border commercial flows, and ground and air transportation into Tigray. So in other words, a return to pre-war conditions while the war is still ongoing. The Peace Committee's position on this is fairly clear. They say that they are prepared to take these steps if the TPLF works with them in creating, quote, 
enabling conditions and a semblance of peace by beginning the talks, end quote. They also mention as one of the things that they want the TPLF to sign a written ceasefire. What's important to understand in parsing this is the broader context. In the summer of 2021, there is huge pressure on Ethiopia to declare a unilateral ceasefire and work to improve aid flows to Tigray. The government did, in fact, then declare a unilateral ceasefire and work to improve aid flows to Tigray. The TPLF at that time spurned the ceasefire, invaded neighboring regions, displaced millions, caused a huge humanitarian disaster, and launched a new offensive to try to take Ethiopia's capital of Addis Ababa. So clearly, one can see the idea of, quote-unquote, restoring services can also just be a cover for, quote, accumulating more supplies to launch new offensives, end quote. The Ethiopian government position is essentially that the TPLF should, as they have, seek to put forward some confidence-building measures, specifically, as we mentioned before, signing an official ceasefire and at least coming to the table to start talking. The TPLF is refusing to sign an official ceasefire or come to the table to at least start talking. So in other words, they are refusing to make any confidence-building steps. And the same can be said of the issue of quote-unquote unfettered access to humanitarian aid. Now, the TPLF has claimed that this issue should be quote-unquote delinked from political issues, but they continue to raise it as an obstacle to talks. The same basic issue arises. If, in the past, the TPLF has proven it will use a ceasefire and increased aid to buttress new offensives, how to move forward on this issue without some assurances that they won't do the same thing this time? But again, the TPLF refuses to give any sort of assurances in this direction, including just signing a ceasefire rather than passively observing one and just showing up for talks. It's also worth noting that the misuse of aid is not a hypothetical. Last year, even USAID officials spoke on the record about the TPLF ransacking warehouses and stealing aid to use it for military purposes. One thing I noted last summer was that at one point, the United Nations humanitarian officials noted that the TPLF had stopped selling them fuel to use for their humanitarian operations, which strongly suggested to me that they were hoarding that fuel for military purposes. And while I was in Amhara State last year, I saw what certainly appeared to be the remnants of humanitarian aid packaging in trenches that had been occupied by the TPLF. It's also worth noting here that both the U.S. and the U.N. have noted that the government has indeed been facilitating an increased flow of aid during the last six months of the ceasefire. According to the United Nations, 1.4 million metric tons of aid entered to Gry from April 1 to August 1. 21,300 households have received fertilizer for farming, and regular humanitarian aid flights continue to arrive in Tigray. Obviously, major humanitarian issues remain, but again, given the past history here, it's hard to see how the biggest obstacle to improving the flow of aid is anything other than the lack of the TPLF's willingness to make any confidence-building measures that would assure the government of Ethiopia they aren't going to do what they once did before, which is use the pause in the fighting and increase aid flows to basically buttress themselves and launch another offensive. The final key issue that speaks to the TPLF evasion of peace talks are issues surrounding who the mediator of the talks should be. The African Union has been leading mediation efforts so far, but the TPLF has continually only partially accepted that and moved multiple times to try to have someone else either lead the talks or to force the AU to co-lead the talks with other forces, including potentially the U.S. and the EU. The TPLF claims that the AU is not credible, but their evidence for that lack of credibility seems to boil down to the fact that the AU just refuses to agree with them on all points in terms of how they frame the conflict. The TPLF wants mediators that will, at least you would assume, agree with those points. 
They've been arguing that they want former Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta to lead the talks, but they've also continued to encourage the U.S. and the EU to be involved and are tacitly supporting what's a clear U.S. attempt to set up a separate track for negotiations that would undermine the African Union. An early August statement from the Tigray External Affairs Office regarding a trip to the region by U.S. and EU special envoys gives some clues as to why the TPLF would want new negotiators and especially wants the Western nations to be involved in that. The statement thanked the U.S. and the EU envoys for supporting their demands that, quote, all invading forces, end quote, withdraw from Tigray. Since there are not ENDF troops in Tigray, you can tell that this is a subtle but clear reference to a disputed area that the TPLF calls Western Tigray, but is known more broadly as Welkite, and it's also a reference to Eritrea and the role it's played in the conflict so far. For our discussions today, let's just suffice it to say that Welkite status is essentially a non-negotiable issue for the Ethiopian government. The TPLF's claims to the region represent everything those opposed to the TPLF, which is a good chunk of the rest of Ethiopia, hated about 31 years of TPLF rule that ended in 2018. So to note subtly but clearly that the U.S. and EU agree with their interpretation of this issue gives you a clear sense of why they are, in their own words, encouraging the U.S. and EU to play a bigger role in any negotiations, because they think those two parties will side with them on territorial claims and put their thumb on the scale in negotiations to try to force the outcome in the favor of the TPLF. Similarly, while it's disputed whether there are Eritrean troops in very small parts of Tigray, the TPLF claims they are, so clearly they also mean Eritrea when they say quote-unquote invading forces. The TPLF and Eritrea are mortal foes, and from the beginning of the conflict it's been clear that a major aim of the TPLF-instigated war has been to try to disrupt the alliance between the two countries developed since 2018. So, again... By subtly signaling the U.S. agrees with their interpretation regarding Eritrean troops, the TPLF clearly thinks having the U.S. and EU more involved, undermining the AU process, by the way, will make it easier to accomplish their war aim of seeking to drive a wedge between Ethiopia and Eritrea and isolating Eritrea in the region and internationally, which is a goal the U.S. has made clear that it shares since it views Eritrea as playing a vanguard role in frustrating U.S. attempts to have total hegemony over the Horn of Africa. So the clues we can pick up here show the TPLF is trying to displace the AU as the lead negotiator because they think it will help them with their attempts at territorial expansion and their anti-Eritrea campaign at the negotiating table. And it's really not that surprising they think that because U.S. actions in particular seem to clearly reflect a similar attempt to undermine the AU negotiating process. To understand this, we can just look at three statements made recently or somewhat recently by U.S. Special Envoy Mike Hammer. When meeting with Ethiopian officials in Addis, Hammer strongly suggested that the Biden administration will not intervene in the congressional attempts to sanction Ethiopia. Hammer also did dangle the possibility that the Biden administration might restore Ethiopia's access to the AGOA trade program. And recently, Hammer has reiterated an invitation from the United States to the Ethiopian government for Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed to attend Biden's African Leaders Summit in D.C. later this year. So you can see clearly here the congressional sanctions are the stick. Returning to AGOA and inviting Ethiopia to participate at a high-level summit is the carrot. The play here is very clear. Obviously, the easiest way for Ethiopia to get the threat of the stick of sanctions lifted would be to make further one-way concessions to the TPLF negotiating positions. The same is true of AGOA. Hammer strongly suggested that there was progress towards Ethiopia re-entering AGOA, but that the U.S. would need to see more. 
And given what he appears to have told the TPLF about his agreement with their negotiating positions, clearly seeing more would involve one-way concessions to the TPLF. Inviting Abiy to Biden's summit is a subtle but clear way of suggesting he might be able to meet with President Biden directly, or in other words, that the U.S. is ready to raise negotiations with Ethiopia to the highest level. So just take one step back and you can see, while the U.S. presents all this as quote-unquote facilitating the peace process, it's really designed to create a totally separate track where the U.S. will use the threat of new sanctions, the continuation of old sanctions, and direct high-level negotiations to try to coerce Ethiopia into agreeing to a range of TPLF talking points without the TPLF having to do anything in return. That clearly undercuts the AU and ultimately puts the U.S. in the driver's seat of possible talks. When you put all this together, it's hard to interpret this any other way as the TPLF not being interested in talks really at all, or really peace, quite frankly, unless the talks are led by people who will essentially accept their entire framing of the conflict and of all the issues at the outset and try to enforce a so-called peace on TPLF terms, which, again, this attempt to create a separate track by the United States seem to suggest they're also on board with. But ultimately, negotiations don't really work that way. So despite having support from the U.S. and the EU, it seems that what the TPLF is really doing is just biding their time. For what? Well, the TPLF allies and the so-called Oromo Liberation Army are currently waging a range of absolutely brutally murderous attacks on Amhara people. In addition, there are several other conflicts in the country which the government is trying to deal with through a national dialogue. It seems that the TPLF is both hoping for and seeking to instigate waves of violence that will overtake peaceful dialogue, destabilize the country, and create space for them to try to launch another attempt to take over Ethiopia. It's a deeply cynical, deeply destructive stance, but it comports with the way they seem to have waged this war from the very beginning. If they can't rule Ethiopia, they want to make sure no one else can either, even if it leads to all-out civil war. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 